Hello and welcome to the business community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And this week we're talking about diversity and inclusion in the workplace. And Heather very kindly rooted out a blog post from a website whose name I've completely forgotten now, Heather. Was it Head Start? Uh, I, I think it might have been. I feel like I, I, I do I... need to give them credit. I shall look it up in a minute. Um, but it was a lovely little blog post with links to four TED Talks. Well, of course, that's going to get us interested straight away because we love a TED Talk, don't we? We do. And these are all TED Talks on diversity um, and a real mixture you're, you're giggling away there in the background. Have, have I, I haven't, got the wrong topic? Totally. No, I, I, I haven't watched them. <laughs> okay. All right, then. So I've watched the TED Talks, Heather, that you uh, sent me the link to. And I, I, I'm going to say, this may not surprise you, but one of them made me cry. Oh, really? It did, oh. yeah. yeah. Um, Why, do you think? It was the delivery and the content of the talk by Clint Smith. Um, it was called The Danger of Silence, just four minutes long. And he delivered it. Um, I think he's a poet, actually. Let me just look. Yeah, Clint Smith, poet and educator. And so he delivered it in this poetic style. And I don't know, it just it, it just caught me. It, you know, he's just like caught me off guard maybe I wasn't expecting it to be quite so powerful but he was talking about the, um, the problems when you don't speak up and, and reminding us that we have a, a duty to speak up um, when, to say something out loud when we see that something isn't right and um, yeah, it was just really really good so if you have got four minutes after this Heather I really recommend that you have a listen to that one I know it won't make you cry because I'm soft as anything I'll cry at anything. I cry at Paddington and and that is the truth I cried at the film Paddington but it, it really made me think just about how easy it is to not say things and how important it is to actually speak up when you spot something that isn't right whether it's discrimination or whether it's uh, somebody being um bullied or harassed or even smaller things like that. something that just isn't working right in the workplace obviously we're talking here about the workplace but in society in general and actually how difficult that can be so yeah I, I'm really grateful for you pointing that one out I wouldn't have found it um, it was just the fact that it was wrapped up in this list of uh, TED Talks. And the other one that you really need to see, the other two were good. The other two were, mm. were good, but um, I was really inspired by um, one by a lady. I think her name is Jedidah. Uh, I want to say Jedidah, but I know that's uh, not the right one. It's Jedidah Isla or Isla. Okay, I've completely got her name wrong. <laughs> Anyway, it'd be better if I just told you the title and it's called The Untapped Genius That Could Change Science for the Better. And this is a young black lady who dreamt of becoming an astrophysicist from the age of 12. And she went on to become the first black woman to get a PhD in astrophysics from Yale. And wow. she was just talking about the value of diversity in the workplace 
in just a beautifully engaging way, telling the story, her story, but the story of many people like her, um, who have, have actually found themselves in what she called the liminal space, the space in between. So she's both a woman and black. And so quite difficult for her to automatic, automatically be considered as an astrophysicist. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that one too. So you missed a treat there. So if you didn't watch the TED Talks, Heather, given that we'd agreed to talk about diversity and inclusion, what rabbit hole did you end up going down? <laughs> well, I went down the rabbit hole of, of just because equality, diversity and inclusion, they all, they all get lumped together. And so I started off with, I wanted to look at, what we actually mean when we talk about diversity and why it is not equality. So I started off with the whole definition. So equality is about ensuring everybody has an equal opportunity and is not treated differently or discriminated against because of their characteristics. And there are a list of protected characteristics. Whereas diversity is about taking account of the differences between people um, and groups of people and placing a positive value on those differences and I think I think that's something that we we sometimes forget that it's this isn't about um, this isn't about equality this is about accepting that we are all different and we all have different things to bring to the party and if we have an underrepresented group within our business within our our social circle, whatever it might be, if we actively seek out those people, uh, we will get a much richer community, a much richer business. Um, and so I then I went onto the ACAS website, and there's some really useful resources there, um, which which help to just give some context. Uh, so diversity is the range of people in your workforce. For example, this might mean people of different ages, religions, ethnicities, disabilities, both men and women. Uh, and it's about making sure that, and you mentioned that, you know, we should be able to speak up if we see that somebody is being treated differently or, or, or badly. It has, within a business, it has to start with a culture that, that it is okay to speak up and that has to begin with people understanding what are the protected characteristics because you do you know you run the risk that people go oh you can't say anything these days you know all of that sort of thing mm. it's like well actually that's not what it's about it's about understanding what our differences are and the benefits of them uh, of, the, of the difference uh, and then incorporating that into the, the values of your organisation. It's interesting you say that about um, embracing um, the idea of difference because I think a lot of the times you can see that different person as being other to you it, yeah. and, and other, we see those people as others. And the second talk in that blog, which was um, on headstart.io website, by the way, um, the second one by Verna Myers, she says that the way to overcome our unconscious bias is to actually walk towards, is, is to move towards people we see as others and actually challenge ourselves in that way. 
And, and, and I guess it's easy, isn't it, to, to stick to your comfort zone, stick to what you know, potentially don't put yourself um, at risk of getting it wrong by avoiding what she's yeah. saying is actually walk towards it. And, and only by doing that will you learn about yes. the others. Yeah. And they don't yeah, become others then. Exactly. Yeah. You'll learn, you'll understand. Uh, and I, I, I don't think, um, I mean, okay, I'm female. I'm in my fifties. If somebody came up to me and said, what's it like being a 54 year old woman in 2021? I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind them asking me, asking me that question. Uh, I mean, if it, you know, if it was a guy, um, because I would hope that he was genuinely interested in what I was going to say. So, yeah. you know, what's it like to be the only person of color within an organization? Well, okay. I imagine it's pretty grim. Um, like you, know. you say, you'd like to think that they're asking you because they're not making assumptions about what it's like. Yes. And yeah. I'd prefer somebody to ask me what I thought rather than go away and think, well, I think your experience of this is X, Y, Z. Because yeah. you're going to yeah. get it wrong, aren't you? Because you'd be making those assumptions based on your own experiences, not of the person that you should be asking. Yeah, don't decide, don't decide what it's like for me. You, you ask, ask the question. I, uh, I also went down a bit of a rabbit hole um, with regards to the Equality Act and, you know, protected characteristics, etc. cetera. Um, and I came across a couple of things that um, I'd not really encountered before. Uh, that was discrimination by association. Okay. So you could actually be guilty of discriminating against somebody because of a, a relative that they may have so if you had uh, I don't know um, if you had a son who is gay then you could be discriminated against because you have a gay son okay and there that are makes sense yeah yeah and and there are cases where that's that's been upheld um and and so then I started to, I read quite a, a woo-woo um, article about um, how diversity uh, works in nature. Um, and they go on to say that, you know, without, without accepting our differences and the fact that, you know, we come from different places. So cocoa came from the Mayan people in Mexico. Coffee came from Ethiopia. Wine making was founded in China. Sugar developed from India. So using very much the global differences and how we all stand to benefit from them. She then paints this story of, you know, how it's a good thing to, to be as inclusive as possible. But the... Um, there was some, there's some case law that was quite interesting around um, people who were being interviewed uh, for jobs and discriminated against based on their, it was a lady who was, uh, it was upheld up, up about her gender. Um, and also things like dress code. I think we've talked about this before. You know, there was a, yeah. a case a while back insisting that women wear skirts and there was a particular case where a woman who 
was of Muslim faith couldn't wear a skirt because she needed to cover her legs. Um, and it was deemed that she would be allowed to wear the trousers rather than the skirt at part of the uniform. Um, and it's those little things that, you know, why do women have to wear skirts? You know, and why could guys not wear skirts? Yeah. I mean, what's the problem? Um, so some really interesting stuff there about real life cases. Um, so have you done any unconscious bias training or unconscious bias tests? Um, yeah, I put I incorporate one into um, some of the training that I do uh, around team development and perception and managing people. Um, and it, it is quite interesting. I get people to do the little test. Um, there's also one that Harvard are running. I don't know if you've come across this, where you, um, it's it's a massive study and you can go and answer the questions and it oh, will tell yeah. you. We did it a while ago. I remember now we had the conversation, mm. but I, I didn't... Um... I can't remember what category I chose. It wasn't race, it wasn't sexuality or gender. Well, I think it was body size and weight. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. I, I measured, I, I completed the survey to do with that, yeah. Ah, right, maybe I should revisit that and, and just do the test for the other um, unconscious biases. Because Which I one did you do? Um, I did the, I think I did the race one. Um, I have done another one, but I can't remember which one it was. Uh, I mean, the one thing that they do say at the beginning is that um, you might not agree with what, I mean, I didn't come out as, you know, being racist, but it it, it does highlight just some of, some of the things that you don't even read, well, unconscious, obviously. Yeah. You just don't, <laughs> you, you know, you just, you couldn't even second guess that. Yeah. Would be yeah, the way that you would respond. They're the your instant reactions, aren't they? Not your reasoned, thought through yes. responses to things. And so there'll be all sorts of reasons why your instant reaction might be different to what you actually would reason and what what you would um, consider um, yes. as, as an answer um, to do with background and upbringing and experience, lived experience, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. So, mm. yeah, I think it's really good if you if you can, Heather, dig out the link for that. Would you put oh. that on the blog? I will indeed. Yes. And yeah. just to remind you, the blog accompanies this podcast on our website, which is the Business Community. So, okay. so we're going to review a book now. Yeah. Having set a trend here, having not watched the videos we plan to watch, have you read the book that we plan to read? I have read um, certain elements of the book, but oh, good, good, uh, yes, uh, uh, and I will be reading it all. Um, but I did scoot along to four-minute books. Oh wow! See That's what the they same say as about read it. Nearly <laughs> well, yeah, the same. But it kind of it really isn't in the, in this case because the the way the book's written, it's a conversation between a young person and a philosopher, and so it, it the whole thing is is their dialogue, and I don't think you can pick that up if you don't read the book. Okay, I'm just quickly now as you're talking, um, 
I'm going to quickly read um, a bit of four minute books. So do you want to tell the listeners what the book is we're reviewing while I quickly have a look and see if I recognise? I know where you've done this. It's because I'm going to have to try and pronounce the names of the authors. Um, It's a Japanese Japanese book. It's called The Courage to be Disliked, How to Free Yourself, Change Your Life and Achieve Real Happiness. And it's written by Ichiro Kishimi and Fumitaki Koga. That's how I'm... Sounds great to me. And I'm really sorry if it's not actually correct. Sounds good. They say that if you just say it like you're right, nobody will be the wiser. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so basically, um, it's it uses the work of um, a famous Alfred Adler. Sci- yes, Alfred, Alfred Adler. Adler. Yeah. Oh, yes. Psychologist. Um, yeah. Psychologist. Uh, and and it uses his writings to. It uses this, this a story, this dialogue, um, to highlight the work of, of Alfred Adler, essentially. Well, I've just uh, read four-minute books, and I've got to say, I don't recognise the book. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I felt. Um, I That's read interesting, the that. Yeah, because we've yeah. read loads of summaries on four-minute books. Yeah. This is the first one where I've looked at it and gone, that is a different book to the one I've just read. I because I um you mentioned over the uh, over the weekend that you were you were reading the book and you said it's not an easy read mm. and and it it is actually something that makes you um as you're reading it I, what well, I found myself considering so the young person might make a statement about how they feel about themselves for example and I found myself thinking yeah what. Well, do I think like that? Mm. Have I ever thought like that? Have I ever felt like that? Well, I think that's the thing, and which is potentially lost in the summary on four-minute books, is it's it's the way that the story is told, the way that they they get the material across, which actually makes it challenging for me. Mm. Mm. And Mm. I would say it was very interesting. It was challenging and and enlightening but the challenge for me came from the fact that it was a dialogue between a young person and an older um, philosophy student I think yeah is is the best way to describe him and there was tension in the conversation through all of it really wasn't there it it didn't resolve until right at the end Um, but not not in an unpleasant way but obviously there there was a, a disagreement through this conversation but I guess what, how that helped me was I was having that disagreement in my head anyway. So if I'd yeah. have just read them telling the, the psychology of Alfred Adler and read it and they were saying this is this, I would have had that challenge in my own head anyway. So I'm glad that the young person's voice put those challenges forward, if you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that, that that is what makes it... Because it's written, um, and I don't know if it's because it's um, translated from Japanese, you know, and, and the sort of Japanese culture, but it's 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 written very much as a wise person sharing their knowledge and experience with a younger person, uh, and then using examples of other conversations that they've had with other people to bring scenarios to life to help the young person make sense of kind of what's going on with them mm. 
Uh, and of course, as as adults, um, some of these things. So on the face of it, you wouldn't say that this was a business book, but it's very much about interacting with people, and and how you interact with yourself. Well, it's all about interpersonal relationships. There we go. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's what makes it. Um, certainly, you know, the elements that I've read. That's what makes it work, because you go, yeah, in life. You will encounter people. You will behave in certain ways with people. Other people will behave in certain ways with you. I mean, the one thing he talks about is that um, the, the young the young man has said that he doesn't really like himself, and they're having this conversation. And, and the philosopher says, if you were in a room full of ten people, there would be one person who disliked you. There would be two people who really liked you, thought you were amazing. And the other seven would be, you know, just like middle of the road. Yet we, why would we focus on the one person who doesn't like us rather than the people who, who do? Yeah. And, and we do do that. You know, I've done that in business. You spend ages looking at the competition rather than focusing on, you know, the strengths of your business and what you can, what you can give. Mm. And I think um, it's good to point out that if you're a fan of the book Man's Search for Meaning, is that Victor Frankel, am I right to remember? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, so Man's Search for Meaning, it's a brilliant book. Um, and I understand that he was a, um, a big proponent of Alfred Adler's work. So right. you, you would see some connections in there. But there's just a number of things. It, it Adlerian, Adlerian, I'm not sure how you, I, I'm, I should just give up pronouncing things, shouldn't mm -hmm. I? Um, the psychology of Alfred Adler, I'll put it like that. There we go, yeah. Is um, at odds with Freudian and Jungian psychology. So it's it makes um, a very clear distinction between the two. And I think that's, that's highlighted through the book, the differences between the two approaches, which um, feels really comfortable for me. You know, I can see, you know, that that's a very popular psychology, isn't it? Freud and Jung. Yeah. Uh, and Adler is not been so popular up, up until more recently. Yet yet they were, um, you know, they, they were around about the same time. And Adler actually had studied Freud, um, but he broke away from it. And Freud disowned him and everything and said, that, you know, he's wrong. But uh it's that juxtaposition between Freud looking to the past and saying that your past has determined where you are and what your future will be. Whereas Adler says it's it's dangerous to think that your past determines your future. And that seemed yeah. a lot more freeing to me. That is far more my approach to life is, you know, the past has happened. And yes, it will have consequences. But Adler's saying that you then have to look at what's happening in, it's very, very mindful, actually, what's happening in the now. You don't look to the past. You don't look too much in the future. You deal with the experience of life as you're living it now, which. And make conscious choices. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. If it's, as you say, you know, the idea that you you're doomed from the start because, you know, you're molded in a particular way from the get-go um, and, and things that happen in your life shape and mold who you are. 
as you say, to be able to say, okay, well, what if I don't want that to be the case? What if I want to choose my life to be happier or, yeah. or whatever? And there's a lot of the use it, of the word courage. Power back, it? Yeah, the courage to be happy and, and the, the courage to be disliked, obviously, is, is the title of the book. So there's a lot of the use of the word courage in there and not in a way that make, is intended to make you feel as if you're less for not having that courage. It's about acknowledging the fact that it's not easy to make the decision to do this. And that does take courage to, to take that step. It does take courage to not be bothered what that one person in the room thinks about you because you mm. can't do anything about that. That's mm. the other thing as well. It's like take responsibility for things that you can control and don't try and take responsibility for things that are out of your control. That one person out of those 10 people no matter what you do, they might never like you. So yeah. it's pointless spending all that time and that energy trying to make that person like you. And we've all done that in our lives. You know, I think we've all encountered situations where we've tried really, really hard with somebody. It's almost as if um, in the inability to accept that somebody might not like you and for that to be okay. And I always say, um, you know, not everybody's going to like me. And that's okay because I don't like everybody. Yeah. And, and you don't have to. And I don't have to, no. Yeah, you no. don't be unkind to them, but you don't actually have to like them. <laughs> no, no. And I, and I think, you know, I did spend certainly, um, yeah, quite a long time, actually. I thought that I, ha I had to like everybody, you know, that it was wrong to dislike somebody. Mm. And it's not even, it's just not that bothered. You know, there's some, it's sometimes it's just, yeah, not, not for me. I talked to somebody about um, selling houses the other day. And, uh, you know, when people give really weird excuses as to why they don't want to buy the house. And I just wish people would just say, it's just not for me. You don't have to justify your decisions sometimes. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah it's, we haven't got anything in common or, you know. Doesn't float my boat. Yeah, and that's okay. And that's okay. And I, I thought in that thing about where you take responsibility for your for what is yours and, and let people get mm. on with what is theirs, there's a hint of the Stephen Covey um, in there, so the, the circle of influence. It's like, yeah. Um, so you can sort of draw some parallels with that one. And I'm, I'm sure Covey was inspired by some of the things that Adler said. But there were um, two phrases that, um, that were really well explained. I don't know if you've got to this part in the book yet, but that's an inferiority complex and superiority complex. Okay. So okay. Look forward to that one. But one little gem here the one who boasts does so only out of a feeling of inferiority. If one really has confidence in oneself, one doesn't feel the need to boast. It's because one's feeling of inferiority is strong that one boasts. One feels the need to flaunt one's superiority all the more. There's the fear that if one doesn't do that, not a single person will accept one the way I am. And this is a full-blown superiority complex. <laughs> I've, I've got okay. to say, yeah, it, it, it's an intellectual, intellectually stimulating and somewhat challenging book at times. But I think because Adler's been around for so long, 
and his work has been used in lots of other ways. I don't know for certain that Covey's used it, but you can sort of see parallels. Mm. Uh, Frankel has said that he he drew on Adler um, for his inspiration. Is that a lot of the stuff you will recognise because it's already in stuff that you're aware of. But it's a really nice way to introduce something that could be really, really heavy, don't you think? Yeah, def- uh, yeah, I think it's genius the way that it's uh, the way that it's written. I th- think it, uh, yeah, it it reminded me in a bizarre way, like a Christmas Carol. You know, when there are okay. the three. You're going to have three... to explain that one then. You know how they come and they talk to Scrooge and they get him to reflect. Oh yeah, and they the are conversations, he... aren't they? Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. So there you go. That's the courage to be disliked. Um, available through all good booksellers. Um, published. I should just add, actually, um, if you've got Kindle Unlimited, that's how I read it. I've got a Kindle Unlimited version um, of it, so um, it's it's all included in the price. I see you've got a hard copy there in your hands. I have. It was it was bought for this was bought for me. Um, yeah. yeah. I see post-it notes in there. Obviously, it's a good book if there's post-it notes in there. Well, there yeah, there, there was one thing when he was talking about his his father and how his father worked really, really hard, but didn't really do anything in the house. Um, and it reminded me of a conversation that we had. Uh, after I'd been to an event, it was the guy from um, Innoc- Innocent Drinks, was it? Uh, anyway, I just remember him saying that companies don't exist. Companies are a piece of paper. People make a company. Yeah. And uh, and in this section, he talks about work does not mean having a job at a company. Work in the home, child rearing, contributing to the local society, hobbies, and all manner of other things are work. Companies as such are just one small part of that. And it just reminded me that, um, it just reminded me of that 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 quote. Um, and also the whole idea that if, if you work really, really hard, um, and there's nothing wrong with working really, really hard, but if you get the balance wrong, then it's a bit like you were just saying about inferiority and superiority complex. Mm. Look at me doing all this hard work. Therefore, I don't have to do any of the other stuff. Um, Isn't really an excuse. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you you introduced us to the book anyway, and I'm I'm glad that you're going to carry on reading it as well. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, for sure. Now, can I ask you a question, Heather? Go Do on. you own a pair of kitten heel shoes? I do. Do you? Are I do. They, are they made by L.K. Bennett by any chance? No, they're not. No, and and I can't really walk in them very well. I bought them for my brother's wedding. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. There any... Another question. Yeah. Do you oh. know what a cordwainer is? A cordwainer. Yeah. Is that something to do with corsetry? No, it's to do oh. with the lady we're about to profile. She trained as a cord wainer, and that is a shoemaker, someone who makes new shoes from new leather, as opposed to a cobbler who oh. repairs shoes. So we're talking about Linda Kristen Bennett, OBE, and she's the 
designer and entrepreneur, best known for founding the fashion retailer L.K. Bennett. And I think they're quite ever... well known for their kitten heels. Yeah. Have you ever bought anything from L.K. Bennett? Never. No. 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 Not me. I, I'm, I'm not... I, I, you might have guessed looking at me. I'm not a, a massive follower of fashion and I'm not the slimmest person. So I, I suspecting that uh, LK Bennett perhaps doesn't have any attire for me. Or well, they're quite expensive. <laughs> well, you can still buy online. Oh, can you now? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Quite expensive. Okay. But... So let's get on to Linda Bennett then. <laughs> What do you know about Linda Kristen Bennett, OBE? Well, I know that she uh, sold her business at the right time. And I think this is this is a knack. You know, a few of the people that we've profiled, they've sold their business at absolutely the right time. Just before they fail. <laughs> you know, not very long before they fail. I mean, obviously... You know, um, retail on the high street has taken an absolute pace over the last few years. But, um, but yeah, so what I know about her is that she, um, she started, well, she started a little shoe shop. Yeah, so she said, yeah, so she started off make, just making shoes and then the LK Bennett um, shop came and they sold shoes and clothes. Um, so, and and one thing that has become clear is that um, a lot of the young royals like L.K. Bennett's clothing. Mm. And she became why she got her OBE. Yeah, maybe for services to royal weddings. I think maybe um, she apparently has the nickname Queen of the Kitten Heel. Well, she she started the business in in um, 1990. And 18 years later, sold her majority stake in the business for 80 to 100 million pounds. Nice. And she just, she just took time out. She took, took herself away to spend time with her husband and two daughters and enjoy the fruits of her success. Why uh, wouldn't you? Sounds good yeah. to me. Uh, now, I couldn't find a lot out about it. So unlike, um, say, for example, Simon Nixon, who then took his um, hard-earned money and went to to start other ventures. I haven't found anything about Linda Bennett, have you? No, um, she she clearly keeps herself to herself. Uh, I, I did go to Company's House and have a look to see what companies her name <laughs> is associated with. Did you do that? Yeah, big zero there, isn't there? No current appointments for this officer I've got. Oh, well, uh, well I found one active one um cavendish hold cavendish hold co limited oh retail sales of footwear in specialized stores previously called lk bennett london limited and before that called de facto 2232 limited oh. uh, so whether who, who knows where where that all joins up i don't i, I, I don't really understand um, but she's she's not in the press much you know there's not a load no. of uh, different websites or she's she's not um, renting out holiday homes in glamorous places I, I don't see um super yachts around for um with her name on 
no, absolutely. Uh, I did find a little um, in sort of interviewee thing where it, it had some um, some information about her, but this is from a while ago. Uh, born in um, in Somerset, uh, married with, with a daughter. She now has two daughters. Uh, drives a black Audi Quattro. Um, loves family architecture and the arts. Likes Hollywood glamour and fashions of the 1940s and 1950s. Um, yeah. And, and the stuff that she sells is of a sold is of a type. Yeah. Um, you, you very much you could see Kate Middleton wearing LK Bennett stuff. Um, As you said that, I was just scrolling through the notes I made, and there is a picture of the Duchess of Cambridge wearing LK Bennett shoes. There we go. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. We're on uh, exactly was, the same page, Heather. The shop that she opened that I was trying to find was she was 26 and in Wimbledon Village with 13 thousand pounds worth of savings and a 15,000 pound bank loan she opened an accessory shop uh, and um, and if you think that when she sold for 80 million or 80 to 100 million um, she was uh, she's 52 to 40 I think that's quite that's quite amazing <laughs> return on 20 yeah on 20 odd thousand I think that's 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 brilliant I was I was just reflecting on the fact that yet we mentioned that um LK Bennett failed it seemed to start to fail after she'd sold up in 2008 and they did actually ask her to come back um so the the has to return to the company and, and try and help their their to revive their flagging business. Um, I don't think that um, this uh, year has obviously would have helped, um, but I don't think it got that far in terms of the high street. I believe it went into administration um, way back in 2019. So you can't blame the pandemic for this. There are other reasons for it. Um, and it's uh, then, as you say, it's just been taken completely online now. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, there were, I think, were there, I, I remember that there was, um, there was an LK Bennett in Cheltenham where I go to, mm. normally go to quite regularly. And I think that shop has been closed for quite a long time. Um, mm. But the, again, the, on Company's House, I found LK Bennett Limited in administration. And then I found LKB 2019 Limited. Uh, accounts due 1st of April so whether that it, it's hard to know yeah um you know whether that's some retained element of the business that she has it's, it's really hard or if that's her personal wealth or just don't know just yeah. don't know um I, I read an article in the ft around about the time that it went into administration so march 2019 and they're saying that essentially high rents in the large um retail estate that they they were using plus high prices just didn't seem to work for them and right. that that um 
given the sites that we're in, you just mentioned, you know, quite Cheltenham. yeah, Cheltenham, yeah. quite quite nice, but expensive retail spaces. That the volume of sales weren't high enough to cover the rents, mm. and so it's a bit of a perfect storm. And I guess. Um, if it hadn't failed before the pandemic, it would have just been uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. Really, yeah. because we've seen sadly a lot of retail businesses struggle um, before the pandemic, and have finally gone to the wall during this last twelve months. Yeah, and she sold out to um, two equity um, private equity companies, uh, and and I just find that. Amazing. She she sold seventy percent uh, to Phoenix Equity Partners and Sirius Equity, a retail and branded luxury goods investment company. Oh, uh, but but the investors also included a former Jimmy Choo chief, so right, there was some okay. experience there as well. Right. Okay. Okay. So they, I, I guess, they know a bit about shoes. Yeah. Well, you would. <laughs> <laughs> you would hope so. Yeah. But yeah, really difficult to find anything about her. She she appeared on a list that we'd been looking at of various yeah. people um, because she won um, Businesswoman of the Year, Best Woman's Footwear Retailer, um, Entrepreneur, uh, an entrepreneur, the Entrepreneur's Entrepreneur Award in two thousand and nine. So yeah, she was a mover and shaker, but. Um, yeah, she got her OBE in 2006 for services to the fashion industry. Yeah. Well, so, I hope she's enjoying the fruits of her labour uh, and enjoyed it with her husband and children. I think it sounds perfect. I'd like to think that she was um, sitting by her pool and drinking a glass of gin and tonic. Yeah. Well, Maybe yes. practising a little bit of cord waning every so often. I've never come across that word before. I thought, given what we were going to be talking about, I could imagine it was something to do with corsetry. But, yeah, making shoes from scratch. I've got a challenge for you then, Heather. In the next seven days, um, between now and when we record the next podcast, I'd like you to slip the word cordwainer into a conversation casually. (laughs) Shall I record the conversation as it's taking place? Yes, please, just to prove it. That's all we've got time for this week on the business community. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's podcast, you can find out about all the things that we've talked about over the years at our website, which is thebusiness.community. We do hope you'll join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. Bye.